Good evening. Uh, it's good to be with you. I'm Dave. I'm the pastor of the Creve Hall congregation. And um, if you're here in person, uh, way to go. It's a phenomenal day outside, and you've shown a lot of character uh, by coming indoors tonight. Uh, those of you who are online or doing home church, uh, we're excited uh, for you guys as well as we open up the Word. Um, but before I, I read the passage that we're going to study tonight, um, I really want to want to encourage you and give you a little bit of a heads up of what we're what we're going to do in this time. And I'm going to ask something of you. This is kind of like, and if you've seen the Peloton commercials where the person is on the other side of the screen and they're like, "Come on, Dave, pedal!" I am going to ask something of you that's hard to ask of people at 5 p.m. Um, and that is to really engage. Uh, and what we're about to do. Because what we're talking about in this series, in this Priesthood of the Believer series, and in this season, um, is, is really uh, fitting for something that we've, we've really fought for ever since we planted Midtown 20 years ago. And, and it was a dream that we had, and it's not just our dream, it's really what we believe is, is God's dream or God's vision, His idea that we're trying to flesh out here and today in the context of our church. And, and this dream or this idea that the Lord has for his people, there may never be a more important time uh, in our lifetime, I would argue that, uh, for us to pick up this idea and this vision for our lives, right? And it's this, and you've heard us say this many times, you don't go to church, we are the church, right? That we are the ones who are uh, as priests in the kingdom of God, we are the ones who are uniquely created to bear his image. We have this unique capacity to reflect him and his love and his ways to the world around us, to one another and to the world that's in need, right? We're those who are ambassadors of his to represent his goodness and his presence to the world. We've been set apart for that. And so I'm, I'm pleading with you, I'm about to reason with you from Scripture, I've prayed for you that you would actually embrace that priestly role, that you'd believe that God has that vision for your life because this is the work of the gospel in our lives, right? He's given us this new identity. He's rescued us. He's saved us from something, from our sin and from sin's reign and sin's rule, and he saved us to something, to this new life in Christ. So much so that Paul says, Christ in you, the hope of glory for scripture says that you are a city on a hill now, that you are the light of the world and that they will know that you belong to me because of the quality and the uniqueness and the capacity that you have to love in the world differently than the way the world loves. We are a kingdom of priests and we're called to play a unique role. That's where we're going tonight, all right? So we've been looking at this idea through the creation account first a couple of weeks ago was through Adam and Eve, right? Who were the first priests over the temple of God's creation. And then we looked at Abraham, right? Who was blessed by the Lord and called into this unique relationship and journey with the Lord in order to be a blessing to the world, to the entire world was gonna be blessed through him, right? And tonight we're gonna to look at 1 Peter 2. So if you have a Bible, turn to 1 Peter 2. We're gonna look at verses four through 10. But to go on this journey, what we're gonna talk about tonight, it's, it's immensely, I mean immensely practical for our daily lives. What we're gonna talk about tonight, I, I would argue this, it touches every aspect of your day-to-day -day existence, all right? 
And this passage, um, this is one of those passages, I've even prayed this for you, that this would be a passage that you would fall in love with in your lifetime. I don't know if you have those, some passages that you just, you come back to again and again and again. It's like rereading an old love letter, right? To, to restoke your heart's fires for like, this is what's true about me. This is what's true about us. That's what this passage is for the believer, okay? And what this does, what this passage does is it really lays down for us as, as we pick up this identity as priests in the kingdom. It says, if you're gonna go on that journey in your life, you need to have the right foundation. That's what this passage is about. Because on a bad foundation or on bad fundamentals, uh, you will not survive this journey that the Lord's calling you on. So two things, I'm gonna, I'm, gonna read it, I'm gonna read it for us and then we're gonna look at two things. I'll tell you what those are after I read it, all right? This is 1 Peter 2, verses four through 10. As you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble on a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Lord, uh, uh, break up the soil of our hearts now uh, as we look at this uh, rich, uh, beautiful and, and very foundational text for us to understand who uh, you are and who we are and why uh, that changes everything about our lives. So Holy Spirit, uh, make this come alive. Uh, we need you to, in your name, amen. All right, so two things, right? It's a two-point sermon. Maybe over this time, we'll get it down to one point, you know? <laughs> Two, two's you know, shorter than three, but I've got a lot to say in these two. Uh, the first one uh, is get stoned, okay? Yeah. I'm kidding, I'm just making sure y'all are awake. It's not get stoned, although we are gonna be talking a lot about stones. Uh, first one is a priest's formation, okay? If you're a note taker, a priest's formation, and secondly, a priest's foundation. So two F words, formation and foundation. First one, a priest's formation. We're gonna talk and look at a little bit about what it says here in verse four, uh, living stones, the living stones of a spiritual house, okay? Reread uh, verse, verse four, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, sorry, this is verse five, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house 
to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. He's saying, this is what I'm forming you into. As a holy priesthood, you, I'm making you into living stones of a spiritual house. Now, all of this, if we were, you know, reading this as it was, you know, being written by Peter and delivered, all of the language in here about priesthood and stone and building, all of these would have been awakening in, in the reader's mind temple metaphors, right? This idea of being priests and priests who served in the temple and they, you know, created and made all these sacrifices for the people atoning for their sin before God. All of this would have had their minds moving towards the temple. And what was a temple? What was the temple in those days? Regardless, really, honestly, not just for Christianity, any religion, every religion has its temple, right? Like Nissan Stadium is the temple of the Titans today, right? Sorry, that's a joke. Low, low blow on football, but right? I mean, it has their place, right? All religions, it's a physical place where God, the God, whatever God you, you worshiped, made himself known. It was where worship and sacrifices take place and where that God's presence dwelled uniquely. So when the readers of the day would have been hearing this, they would have been all thinking about that and saying, this is what, this is what he's getting at. He's getting about, about the temple. In 1 Corinthians 3.16, it says this about us. Do you not know, this is Paul, that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? Now, we read that, we tend to think, we, hear, we even read that word you. Uh, it's the southern form of the Greek plural. It's, it's really all y'all, right? All y'all. All y'all. Do you not know that all y'all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells within all y'all? Right? So this was what would have been going on in the reader's mind as, as they heard this read to them. You're being made into, and you're being made into living stones in a spiritual house. So let's talk about a living stone for a second, okay? Living stone, spiritual house. These are interesting metaphors. I would challenge you to spend some time actually thinking and just asking God to kind of expand those pictures in your mind, right? Those are interesting word pictures. A stone, let's just take that one for a second. A living stone. A stone is something that is an inherently inanimate, right? It's lifeless. <laughs> and yet the picture is here to have something that is that becoming a living thing, right? Something that's lifeless becoming living. That metaphor, it can go in a couple of different directions, but one of those in Scripture is to acknowledge this. Scripture says this really, really clearly, that our hearts, apart from the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, apart from God's choosing us, or apart from God's initiative, Scripture says this in places like Ezekiel, that our hearts are like stone, even, even uh, this part of 1 Peter, you know, this is 1 Peter 2. 1 Peter 1 says that in his great mercy, he has given us a new birth into a living hope 
through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Why would I need to be born again? Why would I need a new birth? Because I was dead, is what scripture says. I'm dead in my sin. I'm dead in my trespass. Apart from God's choosing us, him taking the initiative, our hearts are dead. They are like stone. They are hard to God. They are hard to his ways. Because that's what sin does, right? Sin hardens the heart. It calcifies the heart. So when Ezekiel, let's just take that for example, says you need a new heart and you need a new spirit because that heart that you have apart from the grace and the mercy of God is a stone heart. So the only way that I become a living stone, not just a stone, is through Jesus. That prophecy in Ezekiel was about Christ and what he was coming to do. That it was through him that that heart of stone would be transformed into a heart of flesh, which means what? It means that I've got a heart now, and you, if you're in Christ, I have a heart now that not only is alive to God, I'm a new creation in Christ. I have this new birth, right? My heart has been liberated. And I actually have the capacity now, you and I have the capacity now because of what Jesus has done to actually follow his decrees, to the desire to do his will, right? He's made us into a living stone. That metaphor also holds together. So he's given us this new heart and this new spirit, something that was a stone and he's made it alive. He's animated it. That metaphor, living stone, also holds together something else that seems really paradoxical, right? Something that is solid and static like a stone and something that is dynamic and fluid like a living thing, right? And the picture here is what? As believers and as a community of priests in his kingdom, we are to be the animated and yet solid collective physical representation of the expression of God in this world. We're animated, but we're, people can see us, right? And not just see us as individuals, see us as the church. He's building us into this spiritual house. We are, the church is effectively, it's an organized organism is what it is. And so we're this body of people, this collective that represents and expresses, it's the expression of God and his character and his nature and his will and his affections, what he cares about to the world. He's the living stone, right? That's what it says there. As you come to him, the living stone, you also like living stones are being built into the spiritual house. Hebrews 1 calls Christ the exact representation of God in flesh. And Paul says in Galatians 2.20, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Just as Christ represented God to us in flesh, now Christ in us is that flesh to the world around us, right? We represent him now. And not just as little individual stones, right? 
Because a stone by itself is just a stone, right? But a bunch of stones gathered together and unified and animated by the Holy Spirit, all put together can actually build something significant. You're living stones being built into a spiritual house. Just really saying this to, the, to us, you have this radical new family. You have this radical new sense of belonging. You have these new relationships. You have a new thing that unifies your life with others. And he's saying, I'm making you, I've, I've given you a heart now, a flesh, a, a spirit now that can actually lean into and follow me and love the things that I love. But I, it's not just for you as an individual. I'm putting together this new family. I'm fitting you together like the bricks in this wall for something bigger than you. You're a chosen people. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. You hear that? It's not just about us individuals. It's about us collectively. The work was too great for one priest to do, right? I want a kingdom of them, and collectively you're going to manifest something that individually you could never accomplish. Think about just that word, spiritual home, okay? Like, when you go into my home, and I think this is true about everybody, you know, people use certain laundry detergents and it's like your clothes smell a certain way. Like, don't homes smell a certain way? Sometimes bad if they have teenage boys in them like my home does. It's beginning to smell really bad in my home, right? But homes, I mean, what is a home? What is it? think. I mean, I would ask you to talk right now, but it'd be so muffled. <laughs> it's a place of safety. It's a place of provision. It's a place where you learn your identity, right? It's a place of love. It's a, it's a place of discovery. I mean, some of us had great homes and some of us didn't have great homes, but when you think about what a, what's a home supposed to be, it's supposed to be this, this little incubator for beauty, right? Have you ever been brought into a family? Have you ever been brought into a home? Like when I moved to Nashville, I moved to Nashville out of college and I was interning at a church at Christ Pres, and we were, I was dirt poor, uh, you know, we're making hardly anything as a youth intern. And there were a handful of families, um, two that I wrote down, the Southards and the Yoders. Uh, a couple people in this room know these people. And they were families who basically, they said, you have refrigerator rights in our house. You guys know what refrigerator rights are? Basically means if I show up at my own home and you're there eating out of my refrigerator, that's not gonna be a problem, right? But these are people who, they didn't just say like, hey, if you need a place to crash, it's cool. They, they literally, uh, they took me in. And it changed my life because they, they, were, they weren't just a place to crash. They became a spiritual home for me, a place of safety and provision and love and discovery, a place of belonging, right? So what does it mean for us right now in 2020 to be priests in this season according to this passage? to be living stones of a spiritual house. What does that mean for us? Well, 
write down this, this reference, and I'm going to say something about it, but I would, I'd encourage you to meditate on the passage that I'm about to talk about. Isaiah 32, verses 1 through 4. Okay? Here's another picture of, of this living stones in a spiritual house being built into something. It says this, See, a king will reign in righteousness. So it's talking about a king over a kingdom, right? It's like God over his earth. There's a king will reign in righteousness and his rulers, so the people who are underneath him, his servants, his priests, says, and his rulers will rule with justice. Each one will be like a shelter from the wind and a refuge from the storm and like streams of water in the desert and a shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. A shelter, a refuge, a stream of water in the desert, and a shadow of a great rock in a thirsty land. Be a spiritual house. You be a spiritual shelter, a place for shelter, a place of refuge, a stream of water, real water, and a shadow in a dry and a thirsty land. And then listen to what he says. He says, and then the eyes of those who see will no longer be closed. People will see differently because of you being that. The ears of those who hear will listen. People will hear and understand things differently. The fearful heart will know and understand and the stammering tongue will be fluent and clear. It's a powerful picture what happens when we're priests in the kingdom of God? <laughs> we're shelters, we're refuges, we're streams of water, we're, we're, we're people who bring people under the shadow of our wing and eyes and ears are open to the truth of who they are and who the Lord is and fearful hearts are actually attended to and people who have stammering tongues are now becoming fluent and clear about their identity and who they are and who the Lord is. We're living stones being made into a spiritual house. That's what he's forming us into. A spiritual house that does what? Being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We make spiritual sacrifices now. Like in the Old Testament, I mean, what they were doing was making all sorts of physical sacrifices for their sin in order to make themselves right with God, right? We're going to do all this religious work in order to be made right with God. And Jesus has come and said, I, I'm the perfect high priest who's attended to all of that, and I'm the sacrificial lamb who's sacrificed once and for all, Hebrews says. And so you have been set free from all this religious duty and doing all this work in order to make yourself right with God. That's not what life's about anymore. Micah 6, 8 says this. It talks about, you know, should I come to the Lord and, you know, come before him with burnt offerings or calves a year old or a thousand rams or a thousand rivers of olive oil? It's all this, what do I got to do to make God basically say, you're chosen, you're precious, and what Peter's saying here is this, no, 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 he has chosen you. You are precious. And so now what? 
Micah 6, 8, he has shown you, O mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? A bunch of religious duty and sacrifices? No, to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. We don't do a bunch of religious effort now to make ourselves right with God. Our very lives are now laid down as sacrifices to the Lord. I've been set free to lay down my life now and be an agent of justice, an agent of humility, an agent of mercy. Because remember, once I was someone who had not received mercy, but now I have received mercy. We become those who bring people into the spiritual house to be the shelter, the refuge, that declare the praises of him. He's had mercy on me, and so therefore I'm an agent of the very thing that has been done to me. I declare over you what has been declared about me by him. That's one thing for one person to say that. It's another thing for a whole body of people to be in concert saying that's what's true. Like, I don't know if you guys ever saw it. I wanted to show it and I went back and forth. You need to go look it up. It's on YouTube. You guys have heard of YouTube, right? I'm kidding. Right. Uh, there was a, uh, a orchestra director in Italy named Fabio of all things. Of course, his name is Fabio. <laughs> And they lived in this kind of remote part of Italy and they wanted the Foo Fighters to come play for them. Have any of you guys seen this on, on I've showed it one time at Creep Hall years ago. And he, you know, it's like in an area that the Foo Fighters are not gonna come to this area of Italy. It's not like saying Rome or Florence or something like that. I can't remember the area. But he had this idea of basically, I'm going to get a thousand musicians from this area to all come together and he had this huge scaffolding and they figured out the system. And I'm, I'm talking like they, all this drone footage, it's, it's pretty powerful, I'd like make you tear up. So go watch it tonight, if, especially if you're not getting moved right now, It'll, it will move you, right? But you know, it's this powerful image of all these drummers and bassists and electric guitar players and they play uh, Learning to Fly, you know? Look into the sky to save me, that song, right? Let's, you wanna all sing it together? <laughs> Kidding. Uh, and they did it. A thousand of them played this song perfectly. And guess what happened? Dave Grohl and the Foo Fighters came a year later and played a concert for him, right? It was basically, it's this powerful picture of a group of people saying, not just as individuals, but we're gonna come together like living stones in a spiritual house. And of course, they're declaring the praise of the Foo Fighters, but that's the picture for us. This image of us coming together in concert and saying we're all singing collectively the song of the fact that he has, he has shown us mercy. That I was dead and I am now alive. And that I belong to a family now. I have a home. And that home has an open door. And there is a world that needs refrigerator rights to what we have. And we have it. You have everything you need for life and godliness. So that's our formation. He's saying, I'm forming you into this, these living stones into a spiritual house. Let's talk about our foundation for a second. Oh man, this is good. He says this, as you come to him, the living stone, 
rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. And then verse six, he says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Living stone, and then this chosen and precious cornerstone. A lot of stones in here. What is he talking about? Well, in those days, and maybe, I don't know if there is one on this building. Uh, have you ever seen a building that has like, you know, when it was built and it has like the date and everything? And obviously, you know, in you know modern building, maybe this isn't the case, but in those days, uh, that word cornerstone would have been massively important. Um, a cornerstone is the first and basically the most perfect stone in the entire building. And, you know, basically the soundness or the strength or the quality of that cornerstone, the entire rest of the building would have been built off of that one stone. So getting it level and getting it perfect and getting it in place. And once it was set, then everything else, all the lines of the building, all the structural integrity of the building, everything about the building really had its origins in this cornerstone. So if you had a bad cornerstone, <laughs> you effectively had a bad building. If you had a weak cornerstone that was easily cracks under pressure, then you had a bad building that would break under pressure, right? And he says this, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. Now, what is Zion? You know, it's more than the city in the matrix where the mosh pit happens. I'm kidding. Man, y'all need to, it's five o'clock. I get it lighten up a little bit. Zion, for the reader of the day, this is the city of God, right? For them and the reader of the day, it was Jerusalem and where the temple was. But for us, it's the new heavens and the new earth. Hebrews says this, Hebrews 12 and Revelation 14 talk about, but you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. See, I lay a stone in Zion. Zion, the heavenly Jerusalem, the place where God will dwell again face to face in perfect union with us. It's the garden recreated, right? And it's the place where you and I, Scripture says, will eternally serve as, as priests, cultivators and keepers of the new heavens and the new earth. And he's saying the foundation of all of that all of the promises that are yes in Christ, all of our hope, all of our confidence, all of that hinges and hangs on one thing alone, and it's Jesus. He's the cornerstone. And he's the stone that it says here that the builders rejected. That should, that should cause us to stop for a second. It's a stone that causes people to stumble and the rock that makes them fall. What does he say that for? Well, there's, there's really two pictures here that he's offering is this. You can either reject Christ as your cornerstone, which is what the builders, the religious leaders of the day were doing. They were effectively saying this, we will not build our life off of you, Jesus. 
we will build it off of our ideas about you, which every one of us has, right? And they're not all real. <laughs> they're not all true. We, we will build our life off our additions to your law, right? Our cultural or our national religious traditions, which they struggled with in their day and we struggle with in our day, right? We won't build it off of you and what you've accomplished. We'll build off of our own self-measured goodness, right? You and I have that, comparative righteousness. So it's that part of us that says, at least I'm not, dot, dot, dot. And the picture here is, is this, I, I either reject him as my cornerstone or I stumble against him or I build my entire life off of him. And I, I can't come to Jesus and be indifferent. Like if you're, if you're coming to Jesus, the Jesus as he is presented in scripture, there's no ability to be indifferent about him. C.S. Lewis said he's either liar, lunatic, or Lord, right? You gotta, he's gotta fall into one of those camps. And I can't have it both ways. I can't build my life off of him as my cornerstone and then build my life off of other things as my cornerstone. There's only one cornerstone. And he's saying here to these builders of the day, the, the stone the builders rejected, he's saying, you've built your life off of something too small. You've built your life, you've, you've put your hope in a cornerstone that isn't sufficient enough. I was watching a documentary this week. Um, I would encourage you to go watch this. Uh, it's called The Social Dilemma. How many people have seen this? Anybody watched it this week? Yeesh. I mean, it's scary if a third of what they say in there is true. But it, it's a documentary about, you know, effectively the creators of much of our modern social media today. And, and it's basically their warning shot across the bow of the dangers of this. And I think that after watching it and thinking about this message, I think you could argue that it's all about this cornerstone thing. They're basically talking about human beings need, we're created to have something to build our life off of. And they're basically saying how social media is proving to create a minefield of insufficient cornerstones. And the fruit of that in the lives, you know, particularly of teenage kids, which is leading to depression, anxiety, death, shame, right? We all go to something to build our life off of every day. That's why I said this is so practical. Something that all the contours of our hope, our peace, our joy, our functional security draw off of. They're built on. And if you're in Christ, part of what it means to be a priest in this priesthood of believers, Peter is saying that the only sufficient foundation of your life, and Peter, I mean, Peter fell against and stumbled against his own cornerstone, which was what? His own pride. I'm gonna be strong enough, right? Peter's saying the only stone that you can come to that will make you into that living stone, that will give you that secure identity, the only thing, the only one that can build us into the spiritual house is Jesus. Everything else is insufficient.
know, there's a powerful promise in here. In verse six, it says, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. The one who trusts in him, who's built off the cornerstone, will never be put to shame. How can he say that? He's saying that because he's saying he's the only thing that's trustworthy. He's the only thing that's unchanging. Just think about this for a second. If your cornerstone is money, then guess what? Ecclesiastes says, whoever loves money never has enough of it and you can lose it, right? If your cornerstone is, is your beauty or your personality, that's some of the cornerstones for people, right? Proverbs 31 says that's deceitful. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, right? Because it, it can fade and it will fade. It's fading, <laughs> right? Just go look at a picture of you in your 20s. And if you're in your 20s, well, you're, you're in the best season of your life. <laughs> Drink it up. <laughs> what if your cornerstone is your influence or your power or your control? Ecclesiastes says that those can be here one day and can be gone the next. Maybe your cornerstone is your intellect or your gifts. And yet, if you're my age, you're realizing those things are slipping and I'm losing ground, right? I'm headed towards the grave is what scripture says. You're like, thanks, man. This is a really depressing sermon. <laughs> well, it is depressing. It's unbearable if these things are the cornerstones of our lives, right? If my beauty or my money or my personality or my influence or my control or my power, my intellects, my gift, if those things are my cornerstones, man, if you're feeling depressed right now, you should. And that's a good thing because the Lord's saying, wake up and come to me, build your life off of me. Don't trust in those things. Don't hope in those things. They're not sufficient. But if you're like me, you do it anyways, right? It's why when they're working, when all of those things are working for us, we feel pride and superiority. And when we lose them, what do we feel? Shame. Because shame is pride's cloak. That's what William Blake said. Shame is often a byproduct. It's just, it's just the telltale sign of an insufficient cornerstone. You have built your life off of something that you could lose. So what is it? What's your functional cornerstone? It's a good question. I mean, man, if 2020 hasn't made us ask that question, I don't, you're never gonna get a year like this to kind of come to Jesus like this. As the priest of the believer, we're the living stones whose cornerstone is Christ. Our life is built on who he is, the precious cornerstone, what he has done, what he is doing, what he has promised to do and not built off anything else. So I'm gonna give you one tip on how to live into what we just talked about, okay? And it's in here, it's actually in the passage. Cause that's, he's forming us into this, right? Livingstone is a spiritual house and he's the foundation of it all. He's the precious cornerstone. But if you're like me, I'm like Indiana Jones, but in reverse in the movie. Remember when he takes the bag of sand and he swaps it out for the gold? I swap out my gold identity for a bag of sand every day. 
I say, I know I have this identity in Christ, but I'm gonna put money there. Or I know I have this identity in Christ, but I'm gonna put my, my gifts and my abilities there. I actually trade the good gold for the sandbag. And I, I, I run through the, through the cave of life trying to not get crushed, holding onto a bag of sand. So how do we live into this identity? Three, four little words, five little words right at the beginning. As you come to him. Meditate on it. As you come to him, you get built into this. And we come to him again and again and again and again, and there's no shame in that, right? I come to him through worship. <laughs> I mean, this is what we're doing right now. I come to him through small group or through home church or through individual relationships or through his word or through prayers. I mean, all of those things that I just listed, those things have been remarkably challenged in the season, haven't they? All the pathways that normally bring us into his presence. I feel like there's been road close signs in front of a lot of them, right? But guess what? My need to come to him has not changed at all. In fact, my awareness of it has just been upped. And so how am I gonna come to him? And we come to him not to be precious or to be chosen. We come to him because we are precious. He didn't die to make you lovely. He died because he loved you, right? And when we come to him, whether it's through worship or group, literally like stones in the quarry for the temple, he uses these things to hew us, to make us into this beautiful tapestry, this spiritual house that declares the praises of him. So would you come to him again and again and again? Because when you come to him believing that you are the precious son and daughter of God, what it says there, you who believe, he becomes precious, right? Just like Gollum in the Lord of the Rings, remember that was the name for his ring? My precious, right? And what was precious to him deformed him. It made him unhuman. It's the exact opposite when we come to him and he's precious to us because we're precious to him, it makes us into the real humanity that we were meant to be, into living stones and into a spiritual house that is built off the cornerstone. Amen? Amen. All right, let's pray. Lord, man, thank you. So much beauty in this passage. Um, thank you that uh, you don't say to us, you know, hey, you're, you're stone and, and resurrect yourself, but you're the one that we come to and you're the one who builds us and makes us alive and new. And Lord, I, I pray uh, now for myself, I pray for my friends, I pray for our community, Lord, that we would embrace this new identity, that you would make us um, as a body of believers, those who really pick up this identity as, as priests of your kingdom, but that you would make us collectively as a church into this concert of praise, this, this um, agent of mercy and love and justice and humility in this world, Lord. And would you show us this week, even as we um, spend time with you, as we come to you, would you show us the things, the cornerstones that we build our life off of? that are insufficient? Would you show us the places in our life where maybe we are depressed or we are ashamed 
And it really, if we trace that back, it's because we've put something at the center of our lives that is never designed to be there. Even good things, Lord. You're saying, no, 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 I I want you to build off of me. Let me Let me be precious to you and let me show you how precious you are to me. Lord Jesus, would you do that work in our lives? Uh, Make us into those living stones, into that spiritual house, we pray. In your name, amen.